This is the Registry Podcast. Welcome to the Real Perspectives Podcast, where we explore the dynamic world of real estate and the brilliant minds driving the industry. I'm your host, Vladimir Bosanets, and today we have the privilege of sitting down with Billy Meyer, an exceptional force at Columbia Pacific Advisors. Joining the firm in 2011, Billy's expertise has been instrumental in cultivating and overseeing the real estate lending strategy, where he spearheads the business development team and excels in structuring and originating loans. Before his tenure at Columbia Pacific Advisors, Billy made a significant impact as an investment sales broker with the tax credit group of Marcus and Millichap. There, he learned the ropes in the industry by selling affordable housing properties nationwide. Later, at Holland Partners, he skillfully represented equity for acquiring value-add apartments across the Northwest. Throughout his tenure, Billy participated in the sale or acquisition of over 7,000 units across the country and originated over $3 billion in bridge loans. Today, we delve into his journey, insights, and industry expertise that continue to reshape the landscape of real estate lending. Let's dive in. Billy, uh, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing well. Good afternoon. Yeah, good to be with you. Wonderful. Where do we find you today? Where are you? I'm in beautiful Seattle, Washington, where there's bright blue skies and the sun is shining. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> we shouldn't tell people that we get uh, a bright, sunshiny skies here. People may get the crazy idea to move here. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to tell too many people because the uh, population is growing pretty rapidly. Already. Yeah. No, it is. It is. Um, well, Billy, thanks for taking the time to speak with us. Um, I really appreciate it. Uh, by way of introduction, do you mind telling us a little bit about you know you and sort of how you got into this business and uh, you know the winding road that led you to this role? Um, sure. So I got into real estate at uh, at a pretty young age. Uh, I knew I wanted to be in real estate um, when I was in college. Just I was intrigued with the, the volume of deals and uh, there's a lot of money to be made in the space and I was pretty attracted to it. But prior to going into real estate, I wanted to learn how to sell. So when I was graduating college, I was looking at uh, what, what companies provide the best sales training. And the, you know, the two top ones at the time were uh, Xerox and ADP. Okay. Um, so I looked at the company. I ended up uh, getting a job at uh, ADP, <clears throat> and I was there for a few years, and um, basically just learned the foundation of selling, uh, kind of sales one hundred and one, and then applying it. Um, so I did that for a while, and then jumped into real estate. And I initially got into investment sales, um, the targeted Section Forty Two low income housing tax credit properties. Um, did that for a you know, handful plus years and sold over 6,000 units in about half the states throughout the U.S. and really learned the fundamentals of you know, valuation, uh, brokerage, and sales. Um, and then faded off to the, the equity side, buying multifamily value-add um, apartment buildings. Um, did that in the Northwest uh, for a little while, and then got into development. Uh, I was building medical facilities where we would own uh, the real estate 
and we would lease it to an operating partner. And within that experience, uh, I learned about uh, Columbia Pacific Advisors and realized I essentially kind of recreated the wheel for a business model. And the patriarch of Columbia Pacific, Dan Beatty, has already done that and was extremely successful. And I frankly, just kind of fell in love with the family and um, really, um, I guess, admired them and really wanted to work with them. And about a year later, I got a text message from one of them and said, you know, call Brad. And um, anyways, I called Brad and we went out for coffee the next day and we met about a half a dozen times over the next couple of weeks. And then we started this debt for debt platform at yeah. Columbia Pacific. Um, and that's where I've been the last 12 years. Okay. Uh, so we started off with a little under uh a little under a hundred million and now we're a little over 2 billion and we really focus on bridge loans exclusively, which yep. is yep. really short term, short term loans for those that aren't really necessarily familiar with the space. Um, and we do primarily every asset class um, throughout the country. Uh, we're, we're only domestic within our model um, and all asset classes. So we, we see a lot. Uh, there's a, a large volume of transactions and um, we get exposed to quite a bit, which is, yeah. uh, I think, very fun. <laughs> yeah. Actually. And if I could take a step back, Billy, really quickly, I would love to have you tell us a little bit about the company and sort of how to, you know, its foundation, how it got started and kind of, you know, how it ventured into this, uh, that area with you. Um, sure. Um, so Columbia Pacific Advisors really started as a family office uh, through a guy named Dan Beatty. Um, he's primarily known as kind of being one of the godfathers of the senior housing space. Um, he was the co-founder and chairman of the board of a, a company called Holiday Retirement. And then when he and his partner, Mr. Colson, sold the company in 2007, uh, for roughly six and a half billion dollars. Um, they were the largest senior housing operator in the US and Canada at the time. Okay. Um, so the, the liquidation of that portfolio, plus another company that he also uh, founded uh, called Emeritus, um, they sold that portfolio, I think it was about six or seven years ago now. I can't remember exactly, but that was another uh, multi billion dollar sale. And then um, there's a few other. Uh, sales along the way, but um, essentially those dollars essentially formed uh, or helped form the the family office, and then ultimately evolve it into more of an alternative investment firm in which it is today. Um, so I I kind of see it as an umbrella of various different fund strategies. Um, many of them are on the equity side. You know, we've got a ownership um, of you know portfolios of properties. That's a kind of a value add strategy. Um, and then there's another strategy where it's a development model, um, where we are the, the LP. So we raise it into, into the fund. So we're essentially the LP and the developer, um, with a handful of different products from senior housing to self storage to, uh, industrial multifamily and even office. Um, and then there's the debt platform, which, uh, which is my main focus is helping to run that. And we've got um, essentially four, four debt funds right now. Actually, I'm sorry, five debt funds. 
Okay. Um, three, four of them are real estate, one of them is business lending. Um, and then we there's some additional funds within the house that are overseas, um, like in India and China and uh, various other countries throughout Southeast Asia and even Africa. Um, but really, I, I rub elbows with those guys uh, because they're all in our uh, headquarter office here in Seattle. Although I don't really know a ton about it. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. yeah. No, really that's super focus. interesting. <laughs> yeah, how the how the enterprise yeah. has you know diversified over over the years. Um, you know, very very interesting. Um, so. Also, just for the benefit of our listeners, um, you mentioned really quickly what bridge lending is. Could I ask you to explain it a little bit more and just how it differs from some of the other lending that's typically found in commercial real estate? Um, sure. So it's it's really short-term loans. Um, and where those come into play is when there's uh, some, some form of a business plan. Right. So if you have long term debt that you'd get from, you know, your, your local or regional or uh, larger banks or insurance companies or CMBS, those are typically 10 year loans or, or maybe even longer. But um, that's really more of a stabilization loan um, where we come into play. Or the bridge loan space uh, comes into play is where you need uh, money for a short period of time um, or maybe you need it quickly. So it's. Uh, for example, maybe a quick acquisition, or we're going to buy a property and do some value add, um, which would enhance the value of the property, um, and then place long-term debt on it. Um, so what we do uh, in the bridge lending space is essentially we evaluate business plans, so execution strategies on real estate, and you know validate the, the asset itself, the sponsor, and who's executing it. So how deep are they financially? How experienced are they in executing this specific plan? Like have they been there, done that before? Um, and evaluating, okay, where are the potential red flags or the potential hurdles that may be experienced through this business plan and trying to identify those and then taking the next step and saying, okay, uh, when we're speaking directly with the sponsor, the borrower, what happens if this occurs? Let's talk through that. So you you get a plan around those potential hurdles. Yeah. Um, so you're really kind of dissecting the business plan and who's doing it. Yeah. Um, and that's really the kind of the, the the thesis of it. It's I mean our average term, um, you know, before the most recent you know call it six to nine months or this market crash or whatever we call it now. Um, before that, our average loan term was only nineteen months. Okay. So real, real short period of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, let me piggyback off of what you just said about um, crash or whatever you want to call it, right? I would love to get your perspective sort of on the industry. And you have, as you said, really um, oversight over a number of different industries and can, you know, provide kind of a, you know, sense what's happening high level across, you know, commercial, multifamily, industrial, other other areas, I would love to get a sense from kind of you, maybe, maybe from a macro level, kind of like what the last sort of six to nine months has meant for you in the industry in general, and then maybe we can go into you know some specific details about certain um, you know segments of the of the market and how how everything has evolved over the last few months in that in that space. So let's start high level first. Um, you know, is is this really a crash? Is it you know you you use that word? So I'm just 
you know, repeating it, but I, I, I don't want to over overemphasize it. Um, but you tell me, you know, how how significant sort of are the macro forces that have you know moved the market over the last you know six months or so? You bet. And I'm not sure what the best term is. I'm sure someone's going to coin the name <laughs> for whatever we're going through right now. Yeah. But, uh, to, to spare some time, we'll just call it a you know some sort of market crash or uh, market adjustment. Uh, I mean, I think it's. You know, ultimately, this is we're going through an economic shift. You know, we're currently in, and it's. But I would say it's far less scary than the COVID times and the ripple effect of COVID. So, I mean, this is simply the market shifting into a new cycle, and we've seen this before and have the experience to predict how to weather the storm moving forward. You know, so during COVID, we didn't have that ability to predict the the ramifications as we do in the current market shift we didn't know what was happening and how long it was going to last. Uh, but what I think going to address your question is, you know, what are we really seeing right now? It's, I think it's really driven by the, the constipation or the log jam within the capital markets. Um, it's really blocking transactions and that's, what's really causing the distress, um, you know, from the lending space, you know, conventional lenders and bridge lenders are having trouble getting refinanced out of their loans you know, when their loans are maturing. Um, buyers are having trouble making deals pencil because their borrowing power has evaporated. Um, sellers don't want to sell today unless they have to uh, because they, they won't drive the sales premium they were expecting to receive. So as a result, the transaction volume in asset sales has deflated you know, to just those sellers who have to sell, which the buying community is well aware of, and the only buying the deals available at steep discounts. Uh, the capital markets transaction volume is also deflated. Um, you know, most refis today are uh, requiring additional financial engineering to recapitalize. Um, you know, some deals are getting done in today's right. environment. I'm not trying to say total bloodbath out there. Um, although they all seem to be really tough. Um, and I think the why is because they, the need for stringent underwriting from the first lien holders um, to understand the investors, um, the, the press lenders, uh, maybe a second lien lender. You know, now there's really multiple deals occurring within one. So it's, it's much harder to get any deal done. Given what is happening in the in the market today, and obviously it's a little bit of a perfect storm in a sense that the valuations of the certain properties have gone down because of you know utility, and I'm specifically re- referencing office, uh, but that has also now been exacerbated by you know higher interest rates and the inability to you know refinance. Now, not everything is as it is in the commercial office space, right? So multifamily seems to be doing somewhat okay in certain you know parts, but then you know, industrial is doing okay. Retail seems to be doing okay. I would love to hear from you kind of how you guys are seeing some of these other parts of the market and, you know, where do you see activity? Where do you see action? And maybe in all of it, you know, where, where do you see some hope? Yeah, you bet. Um, so I think it's, it's really case by case right now. I mean, office, I don't know if we really need to get into that because I think everybody's talking about that. 
Um, and it kind of is what it is, you know, the, the flight out of the office space. And, but I guess the, the, the one note I would say is I, I believe that office will eventually come back. Um, you know, the, the grade A properties will come back first and then B's and C's and hopefully the C's and D's can withstand the test of time. But my gut says that many of them won't. So they'll need to be repurposed some way, shape or form. Really quick follow up there. Are, are you seeing some op- obsolescence happening in the office also? Um, I mean, sure. I, I think there's, and I think that's really it. It's, you know, some of the, the, the lower tiered um, buildings um, without amenities and parking and whatnot, they're just not that desirable. So there's a flight to quality and um, it's going to be interesting to see who, which buildings can last. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think office going to come back, but, how long is it going to take? That's that's the big question. Um, so I think they'll eventually get repurposed. Um, In the office space, how different is what you're seeing, let's say, central business district versus suburban um, from from your perspective? And is there a geographical difference also, you know, um, we can talk about Seattle, sure. San Francisco until the cows come home, but you know, other other yeah. sort of urban urban markets. I am curious kind of, you know, what you're seeing as well. Yeah, I mean, what we're seeing is, um, you know, certain markets are tougher than others. Um, certain market occupancies are higher than others. Uh, the West Coast, you know, just kind of high level, which is really like L.A., San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, um, having a tough time in the downtown corridors. Um, you know, it's, a lot of it's driven by the homeless populations that are occupying the cities. Um, you know, we've noticed that um, Seattle and Portland are, are making improvements and starting to, you know, see the improvements. Um, and, and, you know, San Francisco and Los Angeles, it's a, it's a little slower. Yes, yeah. their population is larger, so it's a bigger problem to solve. Um, but the downtown corridor is still, you know, I'm going to hate to say this, but they're just not that fun to go down to anymore. You know, there's the, the retails not opened up and it's like a chicken or the egg challenge. You know, if, if you clean up the streets, then, we'll, then the retail will come back and then the office folks will come back. But then it's like, well, we can't open all those stuff up until people come back. So it's it's a really unique challenge that's, um, I don't know, I'm rooting for all the smart people to figure that out because uh, I, I enjoy going into downtown corridors. Um, but if you go over to the other coast, like, I mean, let's just go to Manhattan. It's it's great. Um I wouldn't say necessarily great, but it's it's stabilized, and office is still like in the downtown core locations. It's still um, you know stronger occupancy and growing, and there's new leases happening. And when you talk to the office leasing uh, brokers, you know they're they they're seeing some activity, whereas the <laughs> leasing brokers on the west coast are you know twirling their thumbs and improving their golf games um, over the summer. Um, so it's a tough sector, but. Uh, there's a lot of people talking about it. I think with, sure. you know, retail, there's, um, I think retail has gotten somewhat of a bad rap the last few years um, just because of the, um, the tremendous amount of dialogue around uh, malls. And when people think retail, they think malls. Um, yes, the, those are very challenged, but it's you know, repurposing to more of a service oriented model. And, you know, there's, there's very strong, uh, strip mall 
models or um, that are doing very well and have been throughout you know all of COVID. So it's it's more of just thinking differently um, and what the retail sector is doing. But um, I I think there's still a, a tremendous amount of uh, good deals out there in the retail space and um, at being a, a lender, there's still very safe um, investments on the debt side. Um, so yeah. we're, we're, op- we're very open-minded to evaluating uh, retail opportunities. Um, and that's, you know, speaking of bad rap, hospitality. Um, you know, what we've seen is hospitality's gotten a pretty bad rap as well. Um, ever since the ripple effect of COVID. Um, lenders in the conventional side have been, um, I would say, a little weary in, in going into them and evaluating them. But one, one of the things you'll notice is that, you know, the high-end luxury hotels are, I would say, darn near, I don't know what, like all-time highs are. So I don't really like Yeah, I was going to say on the, on the transaction side, certainly it seems like we're hitting new levels there, <laughs> which is sort of interesting, right? Yeah, I'm- like uh, you look for a hotel room in a high-end luxury hotel, they're charging some of the highest rates right. that they've ever charged. And occupancies are full or are very high. Um, ADRs are high and it's, I think it's great to see. Um, the ones that we're hearing about that are struggling, I think are more of the kind of your B class or lower kind of business travelers, uh, business, business traveler hotels, limited service, and I think it's simply the result of, again, COVID, unfortunately, where businesses were just limiting travel and cutting expenses. And it's like, you're not traveling unless you really have to. Um, so it, it just reduced the amount of business travelers. Um, but hotels are still doing, are still doing well and you know, they have good historicals. And, um, you know, we're still very open-minded to uh, the hospitality space as well. Um, multifamily is you know, beloved asset class from a safety perspective. And, um, you know, it's, I would say fundamentally the, uh, or the market fundamentals are, you know, remain pretty strong, you know, especially in markets where there's a large affordability gap between rental rates and a mortgage. Um, and the, like the West coast core cities are, are struggling uh, and the multifamily in the downtown cores. Yet, if you look in the suburbs, um, you know your your woody walk up type garden style apartments. Their, their occupancies are strong and have constantly been able to push rental rates. Now, maybe not to the tune that we were a few years ago, but they're still pushing rents. Sure. Um, and it's. I think there's. It's going to be interesting here in the next couple years though um, with multifamily um, because many of the uh, owners have you know placed new financing on their properties in 21 you know rates right. were at all time <laughs> and, and many of those loans had two or three years of interest only so coming up at the end of this year and next year those are all turning into, you know, amortizing loans now. And the values are different, you know, just purely because of loan proceeds. So it's, it'll be interesting to see what ha- happens um, in the next couple of years with, with multifamily. I think we're, you know, we're going to see a little bit of a hit 
not, not anything drastic. Um, I mean, I still think there's wonderful opportunities in multifamily and that I, I'm not swaying from that. Um, I just think it's going to be, there's going to be a little more distress on some of the properties or a, a percentage of the properties uh, just based on the timing of their, their financing. Yeah. And Billy, it sounds like that's, that's more of an issue sort of pertaining to specific financial engineering of uh, the owners, right? Rather than sort of a structural kind of issue in that submarket, correct? Um, yes, um, I do. But I, I think it's also just more, uh, general economics too, because sure. um, what we're seeing is, you know, labor costs are going up, um, real estate taxes are going up. They pretty much are everywhere because it, they trail a little bit. And so there's been mass inflation over the last few years. Um, uh, and uh, insurance costs are extraordinary right now. Um, so the combination of all of those like inflated expenses are, it, it's going to be tough to deal with when, and combine that with the capital markets and the and, uh, inflated interest rates, um, which means loan proceeds go down. So that's where the, the juggling match is going to be. Uh, is this property levered? Is this property now over levered? Um, and when that comes due, how are they going to refinance? Yeah. Where, you know, the cash in refi, I think is a, is a new reality. And so does the sponsor currently have the liquidity to contribute towards the refinance or, you know, where are they going to get that liquidity if they don't? Um, and I think that's, you know, one of the opportunities ahead for the lending environment and the lending space is to help fill those holes. Yeah. Let me, let me sort of segue into that. Um, so as a, uh, you know, private lender, uh, you know, how impacted are you specifically by the interest rates? And then how do you set up your organization? You know, where are the opportunities for you guys to sort of come in with some of these funds? Um, you know, depending on sort of how you're sourcing the, you know, money for the funds as well. Yeah, you bet. So it's interesting. So our fund is, is uh, set up as I mean, it's, it's essentially it's an equity fund, but we loan it, we invest it in the form of debt. And so it's all fixed rate interest only. All of our loans are. So it's, we're not impacted by like directly by interest rate movement. Although when there is, you know, some sort of cage rattling in the rate environment, that typically creates um, some sort of, let's see here, it basically creates um, opportunities for us because people are like, okay, rates are going down. I want to fix this and then lock in a longer, uh, a long-term rate at a lower rate or rates are going up. Okay. I need a bridge loan and get it done quickly and then lock in a rate as fast as I can before they go up even higher. So basically it, when rates are changing, going up or down, um, it basically stems more opportunities that are coming across our desk. The, the demand for our money increases. Um, I think, I guess, going back to kind of high level, you know, if you're buying assets at a steep discount, you know, lending money at inflated rates, it's like, again, like cash is king in the near future here. So if you're a lender with money, then um, I think it's a great time to lend money. 
when values are at deflated and you know theoretically at the bottom of the market cycle, which I personally think it's going to get a little worse before it gets better. Um, but owners of assets are experiencing the requirement for cash and refis, like we were talking about. So do they have the liquidity to find another option? Um, so if you're a, a subordinate lender or an equity investor, um, you know, cash to play with this right now is you will experience a tremendous demand for the product in today's market. I believe, you know, banks are taking the keys for over levered or over levered properties because some sponsors don't have the cash. Um, and so when you think about that, do banks have the horsepower on their balance sheet to weather the storm for that specific asset, or do they just sell it at a discount? So I think the opportunity for you know buyers and lenders are to step in and recapitalize. So what we're doing is you know you know we've got multiple funds that can help accomplish this already, but we're uh, working on raising another fund right now, which will essentially fill the holes, fill the gaps. So when you need pref money, so at a deflated value, you need maybe five million or ten million or fifteen million or x million dollars to fill that shortfall in value because first lien holder needs to be paid down or paid off presuming the opportunity is right it underwrites appropriately you could fill in that gap for you know maybe two two to four years um, until you know there's some more market stabilization maybe it takes that long for occupancies to come back um, or the bank markets to stabilize and the banks open the doors again to start lending. Um, or I, I would say that's very general because that could be applicable to really all the asset classes. Um, we also think there's some opportunities right now in um, you know, some unique asset classes that are just hard to finance. Um, one is in the self-storage space. Um, it's, it's just tough to find debt and equity for those right now. So we're, we have a fund we're raising specifically for the development of self-storage facilities, yeah. uh, which we've already done that we 15. So that's just, that's one fund that we're actively raising for today. Um, another one is in the iOS property space. So iOS industrial outdoor storage. It's for those that don't aren't aware it's um, it's essentially a glorified name for parking lots. So okay. <laughs> yeah, Pacific, we, we, we encountered this a few years ago and, you know, with a, a borrower of ours and now it's evolved into, you know, a much larger portfolio and now they're uh, essentially a JV partner. So um, we have purchased, um, I think it's in like 62, 63 parking lots. Uh, it equates to over 700 acres and it's uh, over 500 acres of, of leasable space and, um, it's actually pretty attractive right now because the demand is very high for space um, from many credit-worthy tenants. So, like, think you know, Maersk is leasing space from us for their shipping containers, uh, Rivian for their trucks and cars, or um, um, the New York Police Department for an impound lot. Amazon is like I think over twenty-five percent of our portfolio. Um, for their vans and truck trailers, uh, for their rental equipment, uh, it's, it, the list goes on and on. Yeah, it's, that's, those that's amazing. Are, 
extremely challenging. Why it's why it's so opportunistic is because there's no it, it's an emerging market, and there's no comps to support the value of the properties. So it takes a tremendous amount of equity to acquire and execute that business plan on a property yeah. by property basis. Yeah. Yeah. You had mentioned uh, that there are some opportunistic funds that you're also starting um, to kind of take advantage of some, you know, things happening across the industry. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and, uh, you know, where is your activity focused? Yeah, you bet. So I uh, briefly mentioned some of them. So this iOS portfolio, we have, you know, we're in series two, we're raising series two right now. Uh, we're hoping to raise another, you know, three to 500 million to deploy. We've already got about 500 million out. So we're actively raising for that today. Uh, we're actively raising for an, another, so series two of a self-storage fund. And then we're um, about to launch um, and actively raise for really just kind of an opportunistic bridge lending fund, um, which is essentially just buying sponsors time, or maybe they're able to buy their own note back, um, or maybe they need, need some um, extra cash to build out the tenant improvements needed to um, get new tenants in the buildings or new office tenants or, um, whether that's industrial, retail, office, whatever it is, um, we're looking to be you know, like a, a quick solution for somebody to save their deals, um, to maintain ownership rather than giving it back. So you know, if they don't have the liquidity themselves, where could they go? You know, they could come to us and we can help them figure that out very quickly. You know, we have a pretty small uh, linear office where we can make very quick decisions for them and most of those scenarios require you know speed of execution and yeah. confidence in execution um, so it's a unique product type where um, you know we can move fast and confidently with them yeah we talked a little bit about some of the challenges in the industry today across different sectors um, I, I do want as we come close to our conversation here, focus on the positive side and things that you're seeing out there that, that kind of gives you hope. Uh, tell us a little bit about sort of what you're seeing across the industry and across the country where you're saying, oh, this is actually a positive thing and I'm happy this is happening. I think we need more of those stories. <laughs> yes. Um, well, they're a little fewer and further between these days. Um, although I would say one of the big successes that, um, you know, I'm speaking about the, the debt side and lenders um, you know, lenders with unlevered balance sheets, you know, it's, it provides them uh, more freedom and flexibility to spend time working through their borrowers issues on deals versus managing through the potential demands for liquidity for their own liquidity. Um, and unfortunately, Columbia Pacific is um, an unlevered fund. So it's, we're, we're spending more time with our sponsors right now. Um, so really what that means is, you know, if you're a leveraged fund going into this um, market crash or economic shift or, um, you know, which again, fortunately we're not, um, then your lenders would be reaching out to the lender to discuss margin calls or pay downs to reduce their leverage. And you know, where does that liquidity come from? You know, if you're a fund and you have a thousand investors in your LP 
and you have margin calls, that's a very tough phone call to make to your investors. So that probably means that you'll have to sell off port or some of your loans to make that margin call. And selling off loans right now, not all the time, but many of the times, uh, you'll have to sell those or it would require you to sell them at a steep discount. And you know that just hurts the, the annual yield for the investors. Um, so those are some really tough situations, some tough phone calls that are making. But you know, for all those unlevered uh, funds out there, and those groups are smiling right now. I would say yeah. that they're they're sleep well at night. Um, yes, they might not be producing the the premium yields that they were delivering to their investors the last few years. Yet uh, so it, those might have gone down by you know hundred or two hundred basis points. Although their, their capital, their investment dollars are still very well protected and they can sleep well at night knowing that during this market crash, yeah, my, my yield went down a little bit, but my capital is still very well protected and I'm still generating a yield off it. Um, so I think you know, that's a huge success for, for the fund managers and portfolios out there that remain disciplined out there to not leverage their fund because you know, the real benefit to that leverage is it, it you're able to um lean on arbitrage which it's it enhances your yield so it's great when times are great but when it's not then it's a much riskier investment yeah, yeah. Um, the other i would say the real opportunities right now is if you have uh liquidity right now there's a lot of opportunities um you know, depending upon the space that you're in um, like for example uh, senior housing has been um a pretty challenged industry ever since COVID. Um, it hasn't recovered from the, re- the ripple effect of COVID yet. And um, I mean, right now you can find on the market assets to purchase for the, the cost of the debt, uh, which is huge discounts. Wow. Yeah. That's um, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, it is, it is amazing. And it's uh, so it's, it's, a uh, real struggle for some, but it's real opportunity for others. Um, and there's similar situations in almost every asset class right now yeah. where there, yeah, yeah. there's opportunity. So it's, you know, find your focus. Yeah. As we close our conversation uh, here, Billy, one of the things I usually like to ask the folks I talk to is, you know, a little insight into, um, into into what they would tell you know them their younger selves if you will or you know somebody new trying to get into this industry you know how would you advise you know a younger colleague of yours you know where to where to put the focus and um, uh, to be most successful. Um, yes, I guess it's uh, what I always like to say is really two things. One is um, you know for your first entry into the industry. Uh, try to find a place where you can learn as much as you can, you know, who's going to teach you. Like if you're going to work for somebody, okay, find out how good of a teacher are they or what company or corporation or firm have training programs. You know, the first three to five years, it's all about being a sponge and learning as much as you possibly can. Um, So focusing on that, is uh, I would say extremely important. Uh, and then two, um, don't be afraid to switch gears. 
um, you know, different asset classes or different focus in the industry. Meaning if you want to be a lender and on a long-term basis, great, go with that idea. But before you do, go jump on the equity side for a while um, and learn what that's all about. And, you know, don't be afraid to go into multiple different asset classes or, you know, places in the industry because it just makes you far more efficient. It's so much better at um, negotiating or putting deals together because you understand the vantage point that those other spaces are coming from. And there's a significant amount of overlap between the different spaces. But if you've you know, worn that hat for a while, it's going to make you far more effective. Um, you know, what I've seen and I hear, it's like, well, you know, I don't want to pick my space for the rest of my life because I don't really know. Well, don't worry. It's okay. You know, everyone else has had those same um, wrestling matches in their head with themselves when they first started. Um, and it's absolutely okay to switch industries within the space. So it's, um, you know, just go in and try to learn as hard as you can. Billy, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Really appreciate it. Uh, love learning more about the company. And uh, uh, please keep in touch. Want to hear how things are going over the next couple of years. Absolutely. Thanks for the, thanks for the time. Thanks for the opportunity. That was another episode of the Real Perspectives podcast. And we thank you for taking the time to listen to it. Conversations like these help us comprehend our evolving industry better and hopefully provide a perspective that helps you understand the dynamics of commercial real estate. If you like this episode, please subscribe to our show and tell your colleagues about it. That is the best way to spread the news and help us remain relevant across the industry. Cheers. Cheers.